Good morning. It is good for us to be here. I was trying real quick here to figure out where we left off last week. Uh, and uh, chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And we had read verse 1. Where... So, uh, a little summary. Uh, Habakkuk has presented his burden, uh, the problem, uh, which some have characterized as a complaint to God. And, uh, and so there in the first chapter, uh, he started off in the second verse with, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arises. And then we had seen in verse 4 there where he presents four conclusions that he has already arrived at. And... uh Notice that he has arrived at these conclusions before having received a response from God. And so, you know, there in, uh, uh, I forget where it's at, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, well, in 1 Corinthians, you know, in chapter 11, when we read where, where Paul, uh, shares with us how Jesus had, uh, had uh, given him the, uh, the Lord's Supper, where he says a man ought to examine himself, but then in, uh, uh, Second Corinthians twelve, maybe First Corinthians twelve. First Corinthians twelve. Second Corinthians twelve. We're told again. Second Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians thirteen. Okay. Second Corinthians 13 and 5 where it says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So when we study the prophets, and remember in Ephesians 4 where it said, uh, He himself gave some to be prophets. We're among the list of, uh, with uh, apostles, teachers, uh, pastors, which are our elders, uh, had given them for the equipment of the saints, for the edifying of the body. Uh, and so we know that we're from, uh, we're, we are directed by God to learn from the prophets and to continue learning from them and from, uh, what they've written for us. And so when we look at his four conclusions, we examine ourselves. We examine ourselves to see if, first of all, we may tend to arrive at conclusions before waiting for a response from God. Um, and then we look at these conclusions, and I had asked us last week to think about our current scenario, the the life that we're living right now. The uh, the you know we we as Christians are uh, in the world. We go out into the world. We interact with the world. 
but we are not of the world. And that's a very important concept to understand also. But living the lives that we're living now in our daily Monday through Friday when we're away from here and not together and we go into uh, our workplaces and we go out among the people who, for the most part, may not be our brethren, uh, as we watch the news and listen to the radio and to the extent that we're aware of current events in our society and all over this planet that God created, think about these conclusions drawn by Habakkuk. First one is, therefore, the law is powerless. Secondly, justice never goes forth. The third one says, for the wicked surround the righteous. And then finally, perverse judgment proceeds. And um, I think we can agree that... uh, These are some conclusions that we might arrive at now, uh, even in our prayers, as Habakkuk has prayed to God during his time. And so we looked at uh, the rest of chapter 1 there, where uh, Habakkuk has, uh, has, uh, looking at the wickedness of Judah, that has come back, uh, and we started off with King Josiah, where they had found the book of the law, and uh, King Josiah had uh, had basically uh, re- restored the spiritual integrity uh, of his people. And then another king comes along, and another king comes along, and then prophets, and then false prophets. And then here in Habakkuk, uh, we find Judah back in a very wicked condition with Habakkuk, Habakkuk praying about this. And so... God tells him, first of all, there in verse 2 where he says, Oh Lord, how long? And then in verse 3, he begins with why. We made the point, too, that God never answered these questions to Habakkuk. And the book of Habakkuk, uh, his letter is unique in that it wasn't presented to the people. Like, remember when we, when we talked about Jonah, which was a book taught before before my semester. Uh, Jonah, for example, where he was told to cry out to the great city of Nineveh. So a message being delivered uh, from God and then through the prophet to the people. That's generally speaking how prophets worked. But in this case, the book was not, uh, the message was not, there was no command by God for, for Habakkuk to cry out to the people these things. This was a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And thank God that we still have it today. And God says in verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Uh, and we talked about how the Chaldeans were, uh, according to historians, more wicked than uh, the Chaldeans and Babylonians were more wicked than the Assyrians before them that we talked about uh, when we were in the book of Nahum before we talked about Habakkuk. Uh, and so here you go. You got Judah is wicked. Habakkuk prays to God and God says, I'm going to bring in a force more wicked than them. Uh, and then we had seen down in verse 12 where Habakkuk says, O Lord, you have pointed them for judgment. They're going to be your instrument of judgment and correction. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. And so um, 
here we begin in chapter 2 where Habakkuk says, okay, now I've, I've presented my complaint before God, the problem. God has responded. I am shocked by his revelation that he's going to bring in a force more wicked than Judah to make these corrections, uh, to punish and deal with Judah. And remember when we had talked a little bit about, uh, some, some things that, uh, some, some generalizations about prophets, some things about prophets in general, um, was that, uh, their message was that there are rewards for obedience and punishment for disobedience. Uh, rewards and God's favor, uh, for uh, for being obedient to God and, and living in accordance with his will. And so here in chapter 2, he says, he starts off with, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Will you pray with me? Our most gracious, loving, and merciful Father of love and mercy and forgiveness, we are truly humbled that your word have, has been preserved for us throughout the ages that we might learn more about you in reading and studying about your work, about your redemptive work in the history of your children, Israel, and with us through Jesus Christ today. Bless us today in our studies, Father, that we might truly exhibit the characteristics of your children as students of your word, and that many things will prick our hearts during each of our lessons during our Bible class and and the sermons and the message that we hear that would motivate us to continue the study of your word on our own. Thank you so much, Father, for the, uh, the excitement that that we feel when we study your word and we learn more about you and your interaction with mankind that you've created to serve your purpose with your will that all men will be saved. Bless our study today that we might take these things to heart and think and ponder on these things when we leave here to study your word, to validate the things that we're learning and then to apply them in every situation in our lives. Thank you most of all for your son Jesus in his name. Amen. So we're going to talk about Habakkuk's prayer.
and his waiting. Just a little bit here. Um, I was reminded of a poem that I heard one preacher uh, recite one time when he was talking about this very topic about the, the uh, importance of waiting, the importance of patience. Um, and the poem was by a fellow named V.R. Edmund, and he wrote, In every life, there's a pause that is better than onward rush, better than hewing or mightiest doing. Tis the standing still at sovereign will. There's a hush that is better than ardent speech, better than sighing or wilderness crying. Tis the being still at sovereign will. The pause and the hush sing a double song in unison, low and for all time long. O human soul, God's working plan goes on, nor needs the aid of man. Stand still and see, be still and know. And so here we have Habakkuk waiting. Waiting for God's response, and his attitude is, I will see what I will answer when I am corrected. So he knows that in his thinking, there is a need for correction. And oftentimes we don't take that pause and we don't wait for a reply from God, which which leads me back to Daniel, which uh, we had studied at some point earlier, I think, between uh, Ken teaching uh, the book of Job uh, when we were teaching, along with teaching the other uh, uh, the other prophets. So let's go back to Daniel, and I think we'll start in chapter 8, and just look there for a minute and talk about this prayer and, and how it works. So this is a refresher. I know that you've heard this recently, so we won't spend much time here. But when you go back to this, uh, well, first of all, in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 16, uh, so Daniel's uh, having a vision, actual, actually, I, I guess, several visions. And in chapter 8 and verse 16, he says, I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So uh, Gabriel being dispatched by God to help Daniel understand his visions. And then uh, in chapter 9, and beginning with verse 3, Daniel says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he's making his request by prayer and supplications here. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments... We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. So how many sermons can you write out of that right there? Just those couple of verses. And verse 6, he goes on to say, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. Ah, That reminds us again of Ephesians chapter 4. So all the way back, uh, rewinding all the way back to the time of Daniel, he says, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. Even back then, the folks weren't listening to the prophets. Who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers, and all the people 
of the land. And then down in verse 9 and 10. So in 10, there's an acknowledgement, confession, like he said in the previous verse there, that uh, uh, I made confession and said, O Lord. So in his prayer, he starts with making confession. Down in verse 10, he says, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before his servants, the prophets. And then backing up before that in verse 9, he said, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. I'll acknowledging here that God is merciful and God is forgiving. And then down in verse 13, he says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we, now, all this disaster has come upon us. There are folks in the world right now, what is this, millennia later, who feel the same way. All this disaster has come upon us. Yet, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. (laughs) i tell you what. If the things that are going on in the world right now haven't caused you to pray, haven't caused you to pray more and more deeply and fervently and passionately than ever before, then I don't know what will. But that's a very personal thing. Go into your closet and pray and he who hears will, you know, secret. There's some secret stuff there. So I don't know how much, how often you actually pray. Aside from the prayers I see you lead here maybe, or when you bow your head and we all pray together. So I I can't make any judgments there. But I, I do know about my own prayer. I do know about that. So ought a man to examine himself. To see whether he's in the faith. And so, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord. And consider what they were going through. And down in verse 16, he says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O God, incline your ear and hear, in verse 18 of Daniel chapter 9. Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. And then down in verse 20, 
uh, kind of an outline given there right in the middle. Normally, uh, you know, like an overview would be given up front and then a summary at the end. But here's an outline uh, combining those two right kind of right in the middle of all this in verse 20 where it says, Now, I, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin. Here's Daniel, the prophet Daniel, speaking, praying, and he says, confessing my sin. And the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. And then down in verse 23, he says, at the beginning of your supplications. Let me look at this. So. So uh, in verse 21, it says, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me. So this is Gabriel talking to Daniel now. He informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. (laughs) I wish somebody would give me some of that. But Gabriel came to him to give him skill to understand. Very important that you listen to what I say next. In verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. As soon as you started praying and appealing to God, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So, so Gabriel comes to Daniel and he basically tells him, your words were heard. Your words were heard. And then I'm going to read from chapter 10. And starting with verse 10 where it says, Suddenly a hand touched me, this is Daniel, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So the fact that he's on his knees and the palm palms of his hands tells us something about an appropriate posture for prayer nowadays and he said to me O Daniel man greatly beloved understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you while he was speaking this word to me I stood trembling then he said to me do not fear Daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God your words were heard Another very important lesson. How many sermons could you get out of that one verse? From the first day that you set your heart to understand. Remember, uh, fast forward now to Habakkuk, where he said, now I'm going to wait. I've, I've stated my case. I've given my complaint. I've already arrived at some conclusions. Now I'm going to wait for God's reply. And I have come because of your words, but the prince, ah, this is interesting, right? This is Gabriel, who was sent by God, right? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So, you know, God heard you from the moment you started praying. Your words were heard. God heard you, but I was delayed in coming, and here's why. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Hmm. Pretty interesting stuff here. 
Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So let's look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. I think it's uh, really important, especially during these times, for us to make sure we understand prayer and how these things work. Therefore I exhort you... 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore I exhort you of, first of all, that supplications, four things here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So uh, entreaties or earnest petitions, uh, earnest petitions uh, that are that are generally given with some urgency. Those are your entreaties, and if we know what prayers are. Petitions, uh, petition just means to ask. We ask God. Uh, though you know, uh, I've been a Christian for a long time. Perhaps at times we hear people. We hear a public prayer and it sounds like God is being commanded to do things. Uh, kind of a different quality there. And thanksgivings, uh, and that these be made on behalf of all men. Um, and then in Romans chapter 8. And I'll begin with verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? You know, kind of like makes you think about what was going on with Daniel and his prayer and the 21-day delay because Gabriel was uh, in battle with the kings of Persia and then Michael was uh, brought in to, uh, to his... And anyway, you know, there are things that we don't see that are going on in the spiritual realm uh, that are beyond our reasoning and understanding. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That's what Habakkuk's doing there in chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts... Uh, Hebrews 4.12, uh, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin. No, that's uh, someone I can't Hebrews 4.12 is uh, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The spirit also helps in our weakness. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good. Spoiler alert. This is where we end up at the end of Habakkuk. Right here in Romans chapter 8 and 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. So, spoiler alert, that's the, you know, that's, that's the conclusion of Habakkuk. And then, uh, 
you also have to go to Revelation chapter 8 to kind of give this uh, closure, for lack of a better term. So here in Revelation chapter 8, the seventh seal is opened. And in verse 2 it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And Gabriel is one of these. Remember, Gabriel was the same April, uh, the same same angel that appeared to uh, Zacharias and said, "I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God." And it was Gabriel who appeared to Mary, right? So Gabriel, all the way back with Daniel, with Zacharias and Mary, uh, Luke chapter one and verse thirty uh, with Zacharias, and then here at the opening of the seventh seal. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them who were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer with the prayers of all the saints. So here, hear your prayers. Another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So there are the prayers of the saints being presented before God. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there your prayers are being answered. Understanding, of course, that sometimes the answer is no. Daniel was made to wait 21 days. I don't think it tells us how long Habakkuk was made to wait. Doesn't tell us. But uh, that's not up to us how long we are to wait. We're on God's timeline. And uh, so back in Habakkuk, um, and there, there, there's really one more passage that we have to look at to fully understand what's going on in our time. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. These things are important. In Acts chapter 17... Paul uh, addressing the Areopagus in Athens. And uh, let's start with verse uh, uh, 23, which says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this in Scripture, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Hmm. So where does he dwell? (laughs) You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood 
every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So there isn't much we're going to be able to do to change that. It's all in God's hands. We need to remember that when we pray. And then in chapter 2 and verse 2, back in Habakkuk, it says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Does Habakkuk work for the Department of Redundancy Department? Because answered me and said, what's the difference? Is is that kind of like saying separate and apart? (laughs) Sometimes we do. We have our Lord's Supper during our worship, and then it's important to say this concludes the Lord's Supper. And sometimes we say now separate and apart. And I'm like, what's the difference between separate and apart? Right. (laughs) I'm just teasing. That's okay if you say that. I say it too. I'm just teasing. But here... It sounds like Habakkuk is saying the same thing twice. The Lord answered and he said. But uh, in the Hebrew language, uh, I've read that this, the, 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 the language for answered, uh, describes the tone that God answered, that he's being favorable here with Habakkuk, that he's, uh, being docile and amenable in his response. So God was pleased with Habakkuk at this point according to that, that that I read. So that's important while you read this, that you have that in context, that God was pleased with Habakkuk here. And he tells him, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Now, I read different things during the week in preparing for this, so I'm not sure if that, that means that uh, depends on who, who you want to believe, right? Uh, that he may run who reads it. So that means if I read this, what's going to happen with uh, him, God bringing in the, the Chaldeans, bringing in the Babylonians, I'm just going to take off running, you know. Uh, so we live here in Anchorage. We're, we're, uh, the closest state to, uh, a lot of world powers that the lower 48 is not very close to, right? So, uh, let's say that, you know, one, one afternoon somebody comes to your door and they hand you something and say, read this. And you read it and it says, we're being attacked by two uh, foreign nations, world powers that have combined forces against us, and they're going to—they're Alaska's the closest one to them, so we're first. <laughs> uh, and they're out here in the Cook Inlet, so you're going to take off running, right? That's what I do—run off in the woods. <clears throat> or I don't know if it means that uh, uh, he may run who reads it—that uh, uh, that the the deliverers of the message will run, or if it means that uh, one one of the things I read said it was kind of like a billboard on the side of the highway down south, uh, where uh, as you're running, you read it. You don't you don't stop to read it. You it's kind of a you keep on going fast and reading it as you go to make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Doesn't tell when that time is right. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. So this verse is talking about the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, obviously. In the next verse, uh, in contrast, it's talking about Judah. 
but the just shall live by faith. And and not Judah, of course, is being called out for all the wickedness here. Uh, Habakkuk, for for example, is a a godly, God fearing, righteous man uh, who has come to God with this burden, with this complaint. And uh, we don't want to assume that Habakkuk was the only one, you know, uh, that it was uh, uh, that perhaps there were others too. And so, uh, but the just shall live by faith. And I know that we've all heard that, and it's mentioned uh, uh, in in the New Testament on on a couple of occasions. Uh, and it reminds me of John eight thirty one. Uh, we'll look at that real quick. John chapter eight. In verse 31, where it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, you know, we can choose, we can choose to abide in his word, which means we can also choose to not abide in his word, Right? And then so beginning with verse 5, um, we have some woes that are, that are given throughout the second chapter. Uh, he starts off with indeed. So he, here he's in, the, in uh, verse uh, 5, uh, he's describing the Chaldeans, right? Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. He does not stay at home because he enlarges his desires as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? So looking at the woes, you have a woe here in, cha- in uh, chapter 2 and verse 6 uh, and described in 6 through 8. And you can, if you, if you're a person like me who writes in your Bible, you can circle that woe or underline it. And then you can go to verse 9 and circle that woe. Verse 12, verse 15, and verse 19. And so beginning with the first one of verse 6, woe to him who increases what is not his. So they are thieves. And verse 9 says, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house. So they are schemers, scheming to obtain evil gain for his house. Verse 12 says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. They are murderers, according to verse 12. And according to verse 15, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor. I think this one speaks for itself. Verse 15, which says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look at his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Don't let the influence of the world mold and shape uh, your understanding, your spiritual understanding of the consumption of alcohol. 
Study it yourself. Spend some time on that. Dwell on it. And then down in verse uh, 19, Woe to him who says to wood, awake. To silent stone, arise, and I shall it shall teach. Uh, so they're idolaters. Uh, and we already knew that. We'll talk about that in the beginning. And so in chapter 3, uh, you have the prophet's prayer. And uh, so, again, I encourage you to go back to Job and uh, start with verse uh, around 37, 38, uh, Job chapter 38, and read all the way to the end of Job. Um, and, that, and I'm only saying that because I know it's a review for you. We, we've already studied Job. So if you were in a class, if, if you, if it's not a review for you, if you haven't read and studied the whole book of Job, go back all the way to the beginning of chapter one. But I'm saying that, uh, as a review, if that's where you're at, then, uh, start with 38 and read to the end, uh, for something similar. But here in chapter three, you have a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth, which, uh, I read was a passionate, moving, like an overture of music, like the William Tell overture. Um, and then in in Habakkuk's con, uh, in in, uh, chap- in verse two here of chapter three, Habakkuk says, "O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid." So this is Habakkuk's confession. He's been humbled. And then there at the end of that second verse, he says, "In wrath, remember mercy." So he's like, okay, it's coming. It's going to happen. So please, God, remember mercy. Not that he needs to remind God to be merciful, right? Um, and then you have uh, in verse 3, verse 9, and verse 13, it ends with selah. Selah. Which means pause to let it hit the affective domain. Um, so write that down and go study that. Uh, this takes us back. Remember, I kept talking about Bloom's cognitive taxonomy, the hierarchy of learning. Uh, Bloom postulated on this affective domain, and it's a real thing uh, that uh, that we appeal to in our teaching and our preaching, uh, and that's important. So, selah, when you see that, it means pause to let it sink in. You pause there when you see that. So when you're studying and you see one of those, do that. Say, oh, what did I just read? Maybe back up, read a little, and then pause. Down in verse 16, it says, When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled to myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Remember Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, and to give you who, to give rest to you who are weary. And then it talks about when the Lord God returns from heaven, he will, and with his mighty angels, he will in flaming fire take vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he starts that off with, uh, to give rest to the weary, to you who are weary, to give rest. And here he says that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Um, also, uh, go and read Ezekiel chapter 33 about the watchman there. And consider who it is that's bringing in the opposing force against the city. It's God. And then who it is who's holding the watchman accountable if he doesn't warn the people. It's God. Interesting, right? And then read Jeremiah 25 that explains the reason for the the captivity. You know. Um, It's God. 
And uh, I'd recommend also a book by a fellow named Victor Frankl uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, he was uh, uh, in a concentration camp, Jewish fellow, and he was a psychologist. And uh, uh, he taught many people, many of the prisoners in the concentration camp, that regardless of what was happening to them from outside forces, regardless of what they were being subjected to and how they were being treated or even tortured, that God put within them the capacity to decide how to feel and how to react. God has given us that ability. And he saved not only many of the prisoners in that concentration camp, along with himself, but even some of the guards who didn't want to be there either uh, during World War II. So that's a fellow named Victor Frankl. Uh, and so think on those things uh, and remember, pray, uh, and then wait patiently. Lesson is yours.